What would you say you do here? There's not a single job in this town. There's nothing, nada, zip. Yeah, unless you want to work 40 hours a week. What if this is as good as it gets? You want answers? My job is to make sure that you do your job pretty much in your face. I want the truth! Looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately. You can't handle the truth! This is going to be a great day. It is going to be a great day. This is In Business with Mike Whitaker. I'm your co-host, Gary Owen. And Mike, what's our topic this Good week? Good morning. It's uh, Today's topic is, what is a business worth? And the little things that determine big dollars. This show will make you money in your lifespan. At some point in your life, you're going to take all your effort in business, whether you're managing now and you don't own a business. Someday you will. Someday you're going to be able to advise on what value is increased with and what value is detracted from a business based upon the action decisions you make now. Today's topic will make you money. Stay tuned today. Our guest is Burke Castillo with uh, Envision Capital Group out of Chicago, and that's EnvisionCapitalGroup.com. And Burt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Great to have you. Uh, you know, we speak to a lot of business people. Not all of them own their own business, but a lot of them appreci- that do own businesses appreciate that I talk about entrepreneurism a lot. I talk about the dream, the rewards we have. We work very hard for what we do, uh, but we appreciate the lifestyle. And uh, But in that business of being a, in a, in an entrepreneur, in that role, and uh, and I need the people that work for me to feel the same way, we make decisions every day that affect the value of that business. And that is my nest egg. What you know, And we look at there's some things that add value, some things that detract value, and some things are just neutral. Like it doesn't matter what color I paint the walls. But there's very few business, uh, decisions we make that, that don't add a value. So you know, I would set the stage for today's show and that the ultimate goal for a manager in a business is to increase the value of the business. Good for them. Good for their resume, right? Uh, the ultimate goal for the business owner, though, is a cash-out event. Right, which is they're going to at some point be able to put some money away. They're going to pass the business on. They're going to somehow have an annuity that pays them back for all that investment. Um, first of all, what type of buyers of businesses are there, Bert, and what type is Envision Capital Group? Sure. Uh, I guess in general there's, as we see, three, three types of buyers. One, personal investors who have their own money, have saved up money to buy a company, to move away from being an employee. There are also private investment funds such as ours that go out and buy businesses from uh, existing entrepreneurs and business owners. And then there are what we call public uh, strategic buyers that are the big companies, the big businesses that are listed on public stock exchanges. And those are really the the makeup of all the buyers um, uh, that we see typically active. And entrepreneurs tend to be in the smaller category, right? I mean, you have some medium businesses that – right, but – Right, right. The the smaller businesses and the the business owners that that look to sell to another um, personal individual are smaller. I would say, in terms of revenue, maybe three to four million dollars or less. Right, and and you know you're a you you've been a portfolio manager. Um, what's your job when you're representing investment capital to go buy a business? What is your number one job in that role? Our number one job is to find a business that we believe we can grow. Wow. Okay. So in terms of, it isn't about immediate profit. It's about the difference between the day you start and the day you exit, right? Right. It's finding a a business that has a very focused 
product or service that it sells and that we believe can grow over the longer term, and we define that as about five years. Well, I can relate to that because, uh, you know, I, I remember hitting certain plateaus in, in one of my businesses, and and right then is when the additional capital and the partnership of, of private equity comes in and helps you over that hump expand to that next level, right? I mean, exactly. I mean, you do that. Well, when you when you're when you're working on buying a business, I'll bet it'll surprise uh, listeners. How much money do you generally spend to get a deal done? And that's a deal that can go bust even on the last day. Sure. It typically takes us about ninety days to analyze, invest, and close on an investment, and we'll spend anywhere from one hundred and fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the cost of legal accountants and consultants to help us understand exactly what it is we're buying. I set the stage with that question, uh, not to bore people with statistics, but to explain to you that this is a very serious process. They're not just kicking the tires. It is a, it, professionals are involved, right? You, you actually use professionals uh, outside of your firm to come in as third parties, right? Right, right. Typically, we'll have three to five different types of consultants helping us assess all elements of the business from the revenue, the stickiness of the the customers, right. to the operation of a manufacturing business. We're going to get into the, the things that you're going to look at. Um, but you take it so seriously, and that's the point of this show, is that people in management and people that are owning a business today, if you ever want to do well financially for, with the business, you have to be aware how, of how seriously the buyers take it. The, and I've also said in a prior show, the most common buyer of your business is going to be a portfolio fund. It's not going to be an individual walking up with a big fat wall and says, oh, I love this. Can I please buy this from you, right? It's going to be a fund because there's a lot of funds, aren't there? There are. There's uh, a tremendous amount of private capital in funds out there today looking for good businesses to acquire. And I'd add one more thing to your point is that typically the private individual investor is buying his business for the first time. So you do need to be cautious of a buyer on the other side of a transaction because many times it might be your first time to sell a business. It might be his or her first time to buy a business. I can speak from experience the the professional and experienced uh, ex- uh, level of a, of a, company, a company like you, uh, your, your fund, uh, really kick, comes into play for a first-time seller because no two parties should not be learning for the first time, as you're saying. It, it, it's, it's the t- chances of it blowing up and never executing are probably very high. Absolutely <laughs> agree. <laughs> and there's probably a lot of stories we could tell. Now, uh, so you spend a lot of money. Uh, so when you value a business, the number one thing you base the value on, I've been taught and I have experienced is cash flow in terms of most commonly a business that's operating and it's in good standing has got a cash flow. Describe what that is and how you look at that sure, cash flow. Sure. We, we define it as operating income, which is really revenue minus all the costs to run that business. And we would say normalized costs. So costs that are... Nothing extra. Nothing extra. Yeah. Um, and then we figure out what is the capital expenditure, such as equipment and things that you have to reinvest in that business on an annual basis so that it continues to produce the revenue that it, mm-hmm. uh, that it generates. That number, which we call free cash flow, uh, we will assign a multiple to that number to determine how stable that cash is. The more stable the business is, the higher that multiple is. So. If you have a business that's generating $500,000 in free cash flow uh, and it exhibits very stable nature, it might be worth 
four times so or a, higher. So a note to our executives, you heard free cash flow. What you have to do with your CPA is you have to get accustomed to reporting internally, monthly, quarterly, and annually your business in terms of how a buyer will eventually look at it. And I, that's a, we can we can delve into that separately on the e-zine and on the comments and on, the, on our one number. But you should understand your CPA, if they're not speaking the language of a buyer now, get them in the habit because free cash flow is a language that people like Bert understand, right? Right. And I might add one more point if I sure. can, is that the other thing in smaller businesses that you also have to pay attention to is there is the free cash flow element, but there's also the asset element. Some businesses, because of their nature and size, are not so large that truly you want to make sure you're selling the book of assets at a profit because the business itself is not so large that it will be valued on a multiple of its free cash flow. Well, that's true because we, you know, if, if let's talk about the, the multiple issue briefly. I don't want to get too technical, but a business generating $100,000 a year in free cash flow, uh, that's, that's a small business, right? And you're talking about a multiple in today's market of what? Three, right? Maybe three times. Maybe three times. So $300,000 is what you'd say without knowing anything special, assuming things are stable, 300000 So you know, in my view, as a seller, uh, I hesitate to actually sell at that rate, but because in three years I'll have that money back myself. So I have to have a reason to sell, right? Right, Mike. And that, that's a good point. If we use that example, that business may only be worth on a free cash flow basis $300,000, but you may have $150,000 of receivables and two hundred fifty thousand dollars of inventory. So, in uh, assets, or whatever, right? right? Yeah. In assets, yeah. uh, and you don't owe any money on the business. So my number is much bigger than my number is five hundred six hundred thousand, right? You, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so what the the point here being is, you really want to make sure you're looking at it both on a cash flow basis, also on an asset basis. Well, just take a look at that multiple uh, because I know that in you know uh, you know last year, even in the year prior, we saw businesses selling for six, seven, eight times. You know, free cash flow, right? And and now that's down to what three, four, five, right? You right. know, it's, three it's to been, five it's, times. It's been an adjustment. Um, explain to the the listeners why a company making a hundred thousand dollars a year in free cash flow is not going to get the same multiple as a company making a million dollars a year in free cash flow. Why is that? Sure. Uh, two two primary reasons. One is the inherent stability of its revenue of the sales. It's unsure. Not so, big enough. Not big enough, uh, which means that it's harder to assess how that those sales dollars will continue into the future. Bigger businesses are usually easier to see how stable the the revenue of the business will be. That's number one. And then number two, which is, is harder to define, is the larger the business, the easier you can see an enterprise. And an enterprise for us is a company that um, all the parts make up something that is worth more than itself. And uh, at the risk of being long-winded here, a company with two employees doesn't exhibit an enterprise as much as a business that may have 200 employees with all sorts of marketing departments, human it's resources. It's like a small boat in the ocean versus a large one. I mean, it's exactly. much more topsy-turvy with two employees, much right. more at risk, right? It could be a wash any time, right? So so I think as a business, an entrepreneur, you know, I've had a business at different stages and attempted to sell, I used to be a little bit uh, disappointed, uh, probably a lot, that uh, the, the valuation of p- from people like yourself when it was small was so small. But it's because you don't know the business. I do, but you don't have the confidence that I do, nor the pride. And, it, and if something goes wrong, 
there's no time to fix it because it's so small, right? I mean, it's, right, right. The smaller the business, generally the less time you have to fix a problem if problems occur. And there is a handoff, right? Right. I mean, I mean in terms of uh, it doesn't, it's just like it's not turnkey. Right. You know, and uh, a lot of folks start a business and think, oh, i got to get it to this finish line and pass it off the next guy. And I think that's that would be unhealthy thinking in that uh, you may not sell at this stage. You might try, but you may not. So you keep pushing. You go to that next milestone, and maybe it's another, another million in sales. Then you might try. But each time you do and you grow that revenue to, and that those cash flow numbers higher, what you're telling us is that the, the valuation is likely to get bigger on a multiple of cash flow, right? Correct. Okay, well, very good. Uh, Burke Castillo with Envision Capital Group. You're listening to In Business with Mike Whitaker, and we want to tell you that if you have a question for Mike, you can call his 800-877 toll-free number. That's 1-877-843-4110, 877-843-4110. We're talking about what's a business worth. We'll be back in business in 60 seconds. Hi, I'm Tommy Lasorda, and I love helping anybody who loves baseball. There's a terrific team of volunteers who are available to help small business owners get started and grow. They are the counselors of SCORE, and they can help you have a winning team. By the way, the price is right because the admission is free, so contact the folks at SCORE. To contact a SCORE counselor, call 800-634-0245 or visit SCORE.org. If your company event, sales team, or management team could use a shot on the arm with a strategic message or solution, Mike Whitaker is available as a speaker or advisor on topics of confidence, getting control, increasing sales, and business strategy. For details on how you can get Mike Whitaker to be a speaker or advisor for your organization, call 877-843-4110. That's 877-V-4110 for details. Or visit MikeWhitaker.com. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of In Business with Mike Whitaker. I'm your co-host, Gary Owen, and my great topic this week. You know, the value of our business, we determine that value at some point in our life. We want to cash out, and that value is determined by the actions and decisions we've made all the days prior to today. And Burke Castillo is here from Envision Capital Group out of Chicago to help advise us on what goes into the value of a business. And I bet most people don't understand the nuance that we're going to talk about uh, right now, which is, all right, Bert, let's talk about certain aspects out of business. You tell me if these things add value or make no difference or take away value. So first of all, what if my business is high tech? Does that scare you? Is that how, What does that mean to you as a, as a buyer? Yeah, no, high tech does not scare us. Um, what you want to know is does the organization have technical people to continue on that path of being high tech and staying high tech? So if the founder is the high tech person and you don't really believe that person will be motivated to stick around very long, that would scare you? That would. <laughs> that would scare us. Now, how about now? I've heard you say before uh, you love lo- no tech, low tech businesses that are just good businesses that churn out the cash flow. And you know, w- describe that. What, what right? Kind of business? We we like um, low tech businesses because they're easy for us to un- easier for us to understand. You sound like Warren say. Buffett, actually. Yeah, yeah. and and it, you really begin to appreciate it as we are generalists. We look at maybe a hundred businesses a month of varying type of products and services. And businesses that are 
easier to understand, are easier for us to analyze and place a value on. Very good. Uh, so technology is only a problem if you can't demonstrate that the technology and understanding is some, is in a lot of other people besides the founder. Yeah, and I just add one point yeah. to technology, which is I'm sure everyone sees, is that technology changes very fast, mm-hmm. opposed to older line businesses, which we tend to invest in, are more stable and have really matured to a level that you understand its position in the market. In some ways, you're always chasing technology and having to keep up with the Joneses. So if you were trying to predict future cash flow, technology business, you have to kind of guess where the technology is going to go and how your product competes, right? That's right. It's very (laughs) difficult to do. All right, next question. All right, family-owned versus not. Okay, how do you feel about when you look at a a company and it's family-owned? What I mean that is family-owned and operated, and there's more than one person in the business from the family. How how do you feel about that? Right. Uh, As a general rule, we we like family-owned businesses, it's hard for us to have family-run businesses. So if there is more than two family members in a typical business, for us, and this is more of an opinion, for us it is a negative to value because one employee's actions infect or affect another. So we'd prefer it to have less family members in it, and I know that doesn't sound um, you know, American and apple pie, but in terms of um, valuing the business, we prefer less family members. So I, in two shows ago, I talked about it. was The whole show was on family and the business and the conflicts that happen there. All right, a little more detail. What goes wrong when you buy a business? What can go wrong? you have a story you can tell of, about the family that ended up contaminating the whole deal? Sure, sure. We had a, and I'll, I'll make this brief, but there was a candy company that was uh, run for a number of years, very successful. As the owner aged, he brought on more and more of his family members into positions that the family members truly didn't have uh, a desire to be in. And what happened over the longer term, from what we saw as we assessed the business, over the 10 to 15 years that all the family members came into the business, uh, the business did not grow and evolve and change as we all know the business needs to change with the changing times. So it got stuck in time because the members really did not have a passion for the business as the father who actually started the business. So they actually harvested their reward early by employing the family, and they didn't grow the business to create real enterprise value to sell. Correct. I mean, correct. those are the luxuries you have as an entrepreneur. You can employ your whole family, but don't expect the cash event to be great and find a buyer that says, oh, I love this business. Let me take your family and, and try to work with this. Right. And I'd add one more point, which is, um, and this is a subtle point that you may not think for the the people who own businesses out there that have family members in, pay careful attention to the other employees in the business because many times you see that their career is not evolving. And if they don't have a career opportunity ahead of them and they're a good, competent, hardworking person out in the marketplace, they will find a better job elsewhere. And over time, that will hurt your business because you don't keep the retention. And then soon enough, you'll find that you have so much turnover that you're really not (laughs) fostering a management team. You you got got to listen to that family business show we did. I think we hit on a lot of the Achilles heels that happen for family businesses. And one of that is that yeah, at some point it's diseased, the organization. So good point. Now, for an individual trait uh, list, what are the ideal traits of a seller? Just that individual, the, the, the leader of the organization, that the owner, uh, what are the traits of a seller that are ideal? 
for us as a buyer, it would be a seller who truly is not involved in all aspects of the business. He or she may guide the strategy of the business. Maybe they're more sales motivated. Maybe they're more operationally motivated. But a business that has more value to us as buyers are one where there is a number of people handling the day-to-day aspects of the business. So I did that. I got that same advice on one of my first businesses that I sold, and I figured out, boy, I had my hands in everything. And, of course, I could. I knew the business, right? And everyone kind of stood back. And what I had to do, and I had to tie myself down to do it, I started bringing on talent and saying, here, you have this. So that when my buyer, my future buyer comes in, I can point and say, John's got that. Sue's got that. I am only strategic. I am part of, involved in sales. But it was actually an effort I had to make because I knew that from my advisors. My mentor said, you cannot be this whole business and ever expect to sell it and someday not have to be part of it for the rest of your life, right? Right, right. An astute buyer will see that. Just walking in the door, uh, uh, you know, an astute buyer can see that the business is run only by one person. Um, or run decentralized by what we would hope for a management team. You want to see a team that's not family, that's thinking of these jobs as their career, right? That that has some talent that's been screened and it's it's been stable, right? What's that management team look like to you when you're looking around the table? If you had a management meeting, what are you looking for for that team? For a small business, as we've talked about here, we hope that there'd be about four people or more. And the importance of that is is a couple things. Um, one, the the realities of the world that people leave, die, and move on. And if it's just one person running a business, that will be the whole business. But the the other one that is more real is if a business does start to go through growth, one person can only do so much. And if you have a four-person or more management team, it's easier to achieve growth because you have more hands and brains focused on the growth problems that occur. Well, okay. Now, what are the examples of uh, traits that you don't want in a seller? That individual, the lead owner, the lead deal maker for a seller. What are those traits you can't sure, have? Sure. In my opinion, it's a seller who is concerned about the last dollar, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a seller who is thinking, I want to make sure I get the very last dollar to the sale price. What that tells astute buyers is you've been last dollar on every single thing in that entire business. So you pay your employees the least amount. You buy the cheapest equipment. You spend the least amount of money on marketing. And what we found, having done this and and worked with over 50 companies on this, is it's the behavior of people is consistent. So if you are last dollar on one element, you will be last dollar on the other. And that's the big one we really try to stay away from. So the old, the old, uh, you know, the old trait of being tight-fisted uh, and what we thought would be an admirable trait, you're saying, actually becomes a cultural issue, and the and the business, the business is probably hampered by that. In other words, it could have gone two steps forward, but only goes one, and then it, therefore, and you have to either try to decide whether you're going to fix that problem, or and accommodate that seller, or you have to pass, right? And you pass on a lot, right? What's we, your ratio? We do. Uh, we probably acquire one out of four to 500 companies that we look at. One out of four to 500. That's a lot to pick from. A lot. See how many listeners, see how many people get passed over. This show is extremely valuable because you're learning why they get passed over. 
Our guest is Robert Castillo. He's Managing Director of Envision Capital, and the topic of our show this week is, what is a business worth? When we come back, we're going to talk about how long a business should be around to avoid being discounted or passed over, and a lot more good stuff. Back in business with Mike Whitaker in just a few moments. Back in business with Mike Whitaker. I'm Gary Owen, your co-host this week. Uh, we are talking about what a business is worth. Mike uh, has uh, an opportunity to answer your questions on this show, and if you would like to ask Mike a, a business question, very easy to do. You can call toll-free anywhere in the country at 877-843-4110. That's 877-843-4110. Or you can go to his website at MikeWhitaker.com. By the way, that's spelled W H I T A. K-E-R, because Whitaker is spelled a couple of different ways. You know, and all these episodes are available, even prior shows on the website, and you can listen anytime. You're going to find something of value for you or somebody you know, because we're hitting a lot of good topics here. What's next week's topic? Next week's topic is, to go with this week's topic, uh, is next week is how to sell a business. You know, we have to, today we're talking about how you value a business and the, the things you can do to make the top dollar happen for you someday, and how to make somebody you work for feel proud and impressed with how your decisions as a manager. Well, next week is how to sell it. And there's so, a lot that goes with that. So some of the questions we're going to address, of course, is how do you know when the right time is to sell? Right. How, do, how do you go about locating a prospective buyer? All those kinds of questions are going to be answered. It's an entire week. process. It'll be the one of the longest and most satisfying and reckless journeys you'll ever take. I've done it myself, but it, in the end, it's an, it's an amazing thing to do, but it's a full process. And we'll talk about that next week. This week with Burke Steele at Envision Capital Group out of Chicago. He's here with us live in the studio, and we're talking about uh, the value of a business and what adds to the value and what detracts from the value. Now, we were t- Bert, how long should a business be around to even get your consideration as a, sell- as a buyer? We'd like to see a business as a buyer three years or more. Five years is great, uh, but I would say at the minimum is probably three years. Why three? Three shows that the business is actually has trends that you can assess and analyze. You've been in the marketplace for a number of years as that company, the company's name or brand has uh, some staying power to it. Anything shorter than that is really looked more as a venture investment in a startup. It's really, yeah, because it's unproven. It's, you don't know if it's a flash in the pan, right? Right. Right. Okay. Next question. How about location in the United States? You know, I mean, you ventured down to Oklahoma. You bought a business in Oklahoma. You know, it, was, it happened to be my business. Uh, what, what about Oklahoma did you find, and what did you see when you walked into my business? Uh, first thing around Oklahoma that I was uh, very pleased was just good people out here. Mm-hmm. Very good people. In, in fact, in every facet of the business, um, we met great people, good, hardworking, honest people. So that was a, was a real pleasure. What we liked about the business that I immediately saw was the business was not about you. It was about mm-hmm. a whole organization. Uh, there was a culture of happy people there. There was recognition. There were things that would show that there was an employee of the month signed there, things that we could feel made it an organization, uh, more than just people, but an actual organization that had stickiness to it. 
Yeah, and that's where I learned a lot of the lessons that go go into the book Entrepreneur Prison, actually, guys. So uh, uh, now location. What about location detracts from a business? I mean, you can't fly to Timbuktu all the time. I mean, so there are some real considerations about location. Talk about those. Sure. Location is important from us, not so much from our perspective, that we're happy to get on a plane, two planes, and then eventually drive somewhere. What we look at it is, again, getting back to the number one thing, which is a growth business. Can it grow? In certain locations in this country, if you don't have the density of population, it will be harder to hire people, hardworking, well-educated people who are going to help you, the business owner, grow your business. So if you're in the middle of nowhere, it's typically harder to grab people who can help you launch that business. So on one hand, I've got cheap labor, and it was easy to start out of my house and put in the sh- and then build a shed and then or go to a nearby warehouse, but... I have to be someplace where the thing can be visual, visualized by you as the next stage, right? And I can be prosperous there. So low cost initially could turn around and bite me if I'm not in the right area. Correct, in two fronts. One is just availability of labor, uh, the general labor that manufacturers mm-hmm. or provide service, and then two, the availability of managers that are going to help you grow your business. So I don't have to be in a big city. I just no. have to be around enough talent and I, if you have distribution issues, you have to logistically have the access to whether it's rail or truck or whatever. But that's obvious, right? right? How about services versus manufacturing businesses versus distribution businesses? Do you have a favorite? Today, I would say that our uh, favorite would be services, business services of some function where you have a direct link into your customer. Um, as many people are probably aware today, there are multiple step service points where you provide a service to another company that then provides another service to the end customer. So you want a B2B model? We want to be direct to the end customer, if that makes sense. Oh, you want a B2C? You want to be... Well, it doesn't mean it has to be the consumer, but maybe a good simple example would be that if you are making boxes that are then sold to the customer that, let's say, makes, I don't know, swing sets. Right. That, in our opinion, is direct to the customer. To the, yeah, it's kind of the final assembly. Yeah, the but final if you're tool. a box manufacturer that then sells to a distributor of boxes who then sells to the swing set manufacturer, that we see as not having as much value. So what we like is direct to customer businesses, and our preference today is more business services because that has been a more nimble Um, area where businesses seem to thrive better than obviously manufacturing, which everyone knows has tremendous pressure on it in the U.S. But having said that, we do see nice niche specialty manufacturers located around the country, and we still value those businesses very high. Especially in Oklahoma, we have a lot of niche manufacturers in the oil and gas, you know, services industry. I think the point, I think I appreciate the most about what you said is the the, the service industry, when you are selling to uh, the final stage of that product, you have a relationship with the customer. You can have that, which is good leverage. You could anchor to that. But you're saying if you're selling to through distributors, you're at the, you're vulnerable. You're at the mercy of the distributor behavior, right? Correct. And what we've seen over the years, probably the last 10 years, I would have said 10 years ago there was no value in a distributor company. Today we see the distributor has access to the end markets, meaning the customers, and they can exert tremendous pressure on the manufacturer, the source, the source mm-hmm. for 
reducing the selling price of that product and um it's it you really need to own your own you get squeezed and we all know that those of us in you know in our business we manufacture if we sell through someone else we get squeezed and priced against everyone else who's willing to work for less today it's a never-ending spiral Right, nice. so you're you're saying that detracts from the value of a business if you don't have command of your sales channel. Right, right. So one one thing you may want to think about for the business owners out there is that as you are growing your business, try to keep a direct to customer, get to know your customers, and sell directly to your customers if you have that chance. I remember my business uh, that you and I did deal on. Uh, it was fifty percent through resellers and it was fifty percent direct, and that solved the problem. We were balanced. We grew faster through distributors, but we had it half and half. We weren't concentrated, right? Right. And if you remember when we looked at that, we, we actually gained a lot of comfort because the big customers you were selling direct to, we felt had a better chance that we would we stay could keep around. Them. Absolutely. Could keep them. Okay. Different topic. Does it matter to you in value my business if I own my building or I lease my space? That point at all? You know, it doesn't matter uh, to us. We're completely indifferent whether you own the the facility or not. Okay. How about this? How does your view of competitors affect the valuation of a business? Tremendously. Um, If you are a small competitor and your landscape of your industry that you compete in is full of large competitors, um, it's really hard to get a tremendous value for that business unless you are in a niche product that they can't service. If you're the largest player in a given industry, your business will sell for more money, a higher valuation. Uh, Or if you own a certain market that the competitors choose not to go in, most buyers will give you credit for that. So niche. I mean, niche. So even if it's a small market, if you're a larger player in the small market, you're going to get more confidence from your seller or from your buyer because they see you as able to be able to be a market maker in even that small market. Right. But do not be the David among Goliaths because that's hope and you don't really invest in hope. Right. Right. Or not much. Not much. (laughs) How about this? Will you accept negative trends in a business? And if so, under what circumstances? Sure. We um, see negative trends all the time. Negative uh, trends in your selling price of your products, Mm -hmm. maybe negative top-line revenue um, trends. Uh, What we won't be able to value much is a business that's generating negative cash flow. So if it's actually losing money on a monthly basis or annual basis, uh, we would not be able to get comfortable with that. I think that's the easy one. I was thinking more like, uh, how's my pricing the last three years? If I had to discount to stake it, how's my margins by product? What do, you, what, do you, what do you like to look at there? Yeah, there I think well, we've come to the conclusion that uh, the last three to four years we've seen decreasing margin across most product lines, decreasing average selling price in in most products, we like to see with that is increasing unit volume. In sales, increasing sales. Yeah. So, you know, we pay a lot of attention to the units uh, just as much as just the dollars. In other words, you, your excuse for discounting and getting lower, having lower pricing to the market, your excuse for that you can get away with and keep your valuation high is, what, but we're growing. Right. We're becoming a bigger player in our industry, and that's what it takes to be a bigger player. Right. Excellent. Now, does legal clutter in the business's past affect the value you place on the business? Uh, It can. Um, We found that certain – well, it depends on how you sell the business. Uh, Well, don't get into that. Just mm -hmm. what things would really dampen 
uh, in general, your view of value in the business if it had legal issues in their past? Probably the, the number one would be uh, product liability, defects, um, things that were caused by the core part of the business, which is the product a person sells. Mm-hmm. Second to that would be employee issues. Uh, because that's the heart and lifeblood of the business. So if there are... Like em- workers' comp or uh, harassment? I would say harassment. Fraud? It, harassment and fraud would be the top two. Okay. Um, so those those are the red uh, flags for us. If it's a product issue or an employee issue, those are the ones that give us pause in, in valuing a business. How do you look at patents and intellectual property? Because a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we get really proud about that innovation, and we you know we framed it, doggone it, and... Uh, we want you to think it's the next best thing. And you come into my business and I say, well, I've got a patent application here. What's that really mean in valuation? Uh, typically, it's hard for us to give a lot of value to a patent because the patent for us, and again, we're generalists as we look at business in general, the patent has value if you can show the revenues coming from that patent. Many times we see that the person has a patent, but we say, how much are you selling of a product that uses that patent? They say, well, nothing yet. And so it's hard for us to give value we're, to We're that. a crazy bunch of inventors. I've got one event patent myself, and, uh, yeah, it's a tough road to get me to be humble and honest about what it's really worth sometimes. So good stuff. Next we're going to talk about uh, how financials make you more confident as a, as a buyer. Our subject this week is what is a business worth? Our guest is Robert Castillo, Managing Director of Envision Capital. We'll be back in business with Mike Whitaker in 60 seconds. Ever notice when you have a baby, everyone seems to give you advice? From your mother-in-law, to your own parents, to your friends. But when it comes to the important stuff, like immunizations and protecting my baby's health, I trust my baby's doctor. She really listens to my questions about shots, gives me great information, and she works with me to make sure my baby gets protected. And that's something even my mother-in-law can agree with. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. If your company event, sales team, or management team could use a shot on the arm with a strategic message or solution, Mike Whitaker is available as a speaker or advisor on topics of confidence, getting control, increasing sales, and business strategy. For details on how you can get Mike Whitaker to be a speaker or advisor for your organization, call 877-843-4110. That's 877-V-4110 for details. Or visit MikeWhitaker.com. Back in business with Mike Whitaker. Our guest this week is Robert Castillo, Managing Director for Envision Capital out of Chicago, and we're discussing what's a business worth, Mike? You know, show me the money once again. This week, uh, what is a business doing to add value or detract dollars when you are going to sell, and how do you impress your manager about thinking about what makes the business worth more every day? These are those considerations with Burt Castillo. All right, Burt, we were talking about, we just finished patents, and and certainly you said you don't necessarily pay uh, a lot of extra for that because, you know, it's unless it's just groundbreaking and has a lot of revenue attached, it's really a more of a source of pride and to-be-continued story, right, with, right. with, the, with, the, with the patent holder. Now, what about product life cycle? You know, sometimes people have a business that's going great, and the product has been good for years, uh, like the makers of regular light bulbs right now. I wonder what they're going to do with the congressional ban of incandescent bulbs. You got any stories you in your history where the product – was looking good, but 
Maybe not. Yeah, we, we actually, it comes to mind, there was a business that we were acquiring. We had uh, under letter to, to acquire this business. They were making metal pails that were used for paint cans, basically. Uh, business was a wonderful manufacturing operation, a leader in its market. But as we got deeper and deeper into understanding the products, we come to learn that paint cans were moving to plastic. So the business, about 80% of its revenue, truly was going to go away. Couldn't tell when, but plastic cans for or plastic pails for paint was already coming into the market. And so that was a, a transaction where we saw a wonderful business making great money today, but the future uh, was very, very uh, unknown, and you probably would say that that business at some point would go out of business. I don't suppose the advertising leaflet on that on that uh, business for sale said, oh, by the way, the trend is toward plastic, did it? No, it didn't. In fact, uh, to our surprise, and surprised me a little, until we went into a Home Depot that had paint cans, <laughs> we really didn't even have an idea that the stuff was moving to plastic. So it was uh, a little embarrassing. This is, why, this is why when you tour a home, you still have your obligation to, before you buy it and make an offer, to check the foundation, to have the inspection, to really scrub it, right? Because you have no idea what's behind, you know, the paint. <laughs> right, right. You, you really don't. And I think the, the point here from this, I think the takeaway that's important is if you do have a business that has a product that you see is eventually moving towards the end of its life cycle, you force yourself and your organization to come up with the next product that's going to continue. The next story. On. No one minds a, a declining story as long as there's a one coming, right? Great. Yeah, don't sit on your laurels. Now, what about business financial and accounting practices do you think add or take away value? Because I remember, you know, my earlier businesses, they ran on QuickBooks, all right? But what about accounting practices do you look for that at least don't take away? Or what would take away? Right. Um, maybe I could say what, what would add. Okay. Uh, add is good, clean books and records, especially in this day and age where everyone is skeptical about accounting and, and bookkeeping. If you have an organization that has good, tight bookkeeping, internal controls, segregation of duties, which really means that the person that is cutting the check is not the same person who's buying the product, it makes a buyer more comfortable that the business has its checks and balances in place. Um, Typically, we still see this out there today, but to the extent the books are in some form of an accounting system or even better, an ERP system, which integrates manufacturing or service right, into right, it, right. wonderful. If it's only on QuickBooks, I'd say that's fine, but uh, we wouldn't add value to that business as much if it's in its own ERP system. You know, I found as an entrepreneur, I got comfortable leaning on my CPA to help me with my annual tax return and, you know, my credible books for the bank. But, you know, what would you say about, uh, you know, the the effort we should go to to make those books a little more uh, presentable? In what way can I do that? Because, I mean, I just I just wanted my CPA to do the minimum. Sure. But that's, that wasn't, I found out later as a seller, it wasn't enough. Right. The, the, the best thing you can do is make sure that you have a rigorous month-end close. We see companies that don't close their books till the end of the year. It's next to impossible Ooh. to value those businesses because you want to know uh, most people, again, who are sophisticated buyers, want to know how the business performs on a month-by-month -month basis. 
most people do not buy businesses and say, what did it do for the year? So (laughs) people who are closing their books and records on a quarterly basis or longer, if they're looking to at some point sell the business – as soon as they can, they need to be, You'll be a accounting better, yeah. on a monthly basis. You'll be basis. a better manager if you're looking at the month anyway. That's kind of common uh, knowledge. But uh, note to self, uh, loaners, that you should do that on a more frequent basis. Hard close the books each month. Now, what about uh, the business's appearance? How do you feel as a buyer looking at the business and how it appears from, from its equipment to its maybe its service trucks to its people? What does appearance mean to you in value? Uh, a lot, a lot to us. Uh, the you know, there's some age uh, old adage of look in the bathroom of the the company to see how people treat their employees. It's an important thing. We go there. We want to know what does the lunchroom look like. It tells you about the pride of the organization, the pride of the people that work there. If the if the truck is old, no one has a problem with that. In fact, most times we respect that. If the truck's old and rusty. Uh, that's a different issue because it projects a different view that the consumer will look to your brand out in the marketplace. It's a cultural thing, really. What you're seeing is how things appear. It looks up. You're looking at pride, really. It is, and in in to that point, uh, as the topic is how you, how you value a business, the culture is a very important part of the business. We wouldn't have time for it on this show right now mm-hmm. today, but the culture has a very big impact on how you value the business. Uh, and it's a very hard thing to assess, but the, the subtle parts of a business, the cleanliness of the lunchroom to the cleanliness of the truck or the manufacturing floor mean a lot to a buyer because it's going to tell you what the culture is of the organization. I'll tell you one I learned, and I learned it uh, walking through businesses as a consultant. Just look at the people when you walk around and you just look at their expressions, how they view you. If you see smiles, if you see nods, if you see welcoming gestures, you're in a business that's got a culture that's probably reasonably healthy. But I walked in businesses where people's heads were down. They didn't know who I was. Was I there? You know, you, the, was the hammer coming down? You're talking about a culture that has got some disease. And I think that's another thing you can look at on appearances. All right. Now, what about the threat of foreign competition? How do you feel about that when you look at a business's value? Uh, pay a lot of attention to it. And this one we uh, actually is what we would call a go-no-go. If there is foreign competition that we cannot get comfortable from Asia, uh, we're going to pass on that opportunity. And so a couple quick checks of figuring out for us is transportation cost, uh, the lead time of a product or service. So if you have a product that requires five-day lead time, you're probably going to be comfortable it's not moving. You're selling speed. To, to you're Asia. selling speed if you've got that kind of lead time. But if right. you're not selling speed, then you potentially have a problem. Or shipping cost. Or so shipping if it's a cost. big product, big heavy metal products mm-hmm. typically – uh, don't bode well in, in the uh, outsource model. But uh, it's something that I would say as a business owner, if you feel that pressure in your um, competitive dynamic of your company, don't fight it. Use it to your advantage. Either go start to source your business out of Asia, uh, have a facility in Asia, but don't fight it because um, it's hard for, again, from valuing a business, it's hard for buyers to get comfortable that if you are making a you know gym shoes in the mm-hmm. U.S. that uh, that will be long term competitive. Well, let me take it from a seller standpoint. So, if you were coming in to look at my business, I would say to you, and most impressively, I would say to you, on this product line, we have a faster turn time. It's a higher level of service, and 
it's something that was, it is something that we can do here that's difficult to logistically get here. And we're selling speed and we're selling what I call difficulty in service. But on this other product line, this is where I think I would impress you as a, as a buyer, we are aware that a lot of people can do what we're doing here. This other product line, you can make it in spare time. You can inventory it. It doesn't spoil. You know, we can, you can, it doesn't go out of style. And uh, it can ship easily. In that product line, you know, we're aware that the foreign comp- competition has stepped up. So what we're doing is we're partnering with a company in, you know, out of Hong Kong that's giving us this at a 25% margin, gross margin. Now, I, wouldn't that impress you more than me saying, oh, that we don't have a problem? It would. It would. And we'd probably pay a premium for it because we think it's long-term sustainable. Right. And it is, you know, this is back to the manufacturing struggle we have is you've got to be smart about what you're really delivering. It's not always just the product. You're delivering speed. You're delivering a quality level that can't be attained elsewhere. You're delivering something that can't be had. So, excellent. Now, what do you think the uh, – how does the annual spending on equipment and technology, you know, the CapEx spending, is that affect the value negatively? I wouldn't say so. I think, uh, obviously, all the different types of businesses that are out there, uh, we don't generalize that if someone is spending, there's no magical percentage of sales or anything that we look at that says this business owner is not spending enough or spending too much on a business. I think when you get to the capital equipment side, it's a very detailed study to understand if the business owner is, is navigating that very difficult decision well. You want to know they're doing enough, right? but not overboard right. We do look at capacity a lot. So in the situation, uh, for example, with your business, you had excess capacity to allow for the growth. So I would say we pay more attention to capacity, uh, unit capacity, widget capacity, right. than we do the newness of the equipment. We're perfectly happy if the business <laughs> has 50-year-old equipment, if it's running well and uh, you have the the capacity available. I tend to like to buy new equipment because it looks nice on the floor. But you know, that's that's just me. It's kind of like cars for me. Hey, now, uh, now, will you reward me as a seller if I keep my inventories low and I collect my invoices on really rapidly on time? Uh, I would say you you would get rewarded for value, but not a tremendous value. And I'm I'm just being honest here. I think that's a low working capital model, and I thought you liked that. We do because if the business scales, the working capital won't scale at a, l- a large level where it's it's eating up all your cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't say that we've paid tremendous premium for uh, quick working capital. Maybe you just complain about it. Is that what you do? Yeah, yeah we yeah, just, you just complain, complain about, about it. it. All right. All right. Here's another one. What's the number one trend in a business that reduces the business value the most? Hmm. All right, give me a give me a second. Number one trend that would reduce value. The biggest reason of a trend. Well, biggest the biggest trend if it was going negative that would reduce the value the most. You know, it's an easy one. It it really is top line revenue. At the end if of the revenue day, revenue is declining. If revenue is declining, your business value is declining. Now, you can sell a business at any time. What do you think the most optimal time? to sell a business in terms of its performance. It's like, I got the wagon so far up the hill real quickly. How do I know when it's time? Right. I think it's time once you start looking in the mirror and feel that you cannot take this business any further than where you brought it. And that that's an important one. And we see that, and that gets us very comfortable. So there are, in reality, glass ceilings to a stage. business's growth. And right. you need to figure out, the business owner needs to figure out, 
when they believe they've kind of hit that that level. Well, with that, next week's show will be How to Sell a Business, and our guest will be Fred Phillips of Transition Advisors, and uh, I personally know it's going to be a very valuable show for folks who understand that. Bert, thanks. You've been a great guest. Thank you. A lot of interesting stuff there, guys. want to remind you that uh, you can hear uh, previous shows of Mike Whitaker's In Business program, and that website is mikewhitaker.com, In Business with Mike Whitaker. We want to thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you'll uh, tune in next week when Mike will have a lot of great information. Hey, listen, I want some questions from listeners. Give me some questions at 877-843-4110. Need your questions to put on the air. It's Mike Whitaker, the Fender-in-Chief, American Entrepreneur.